Today's episode is brought to you by MetPro. Hey, do you want to improve your health but not sure where to start? With thousands of health strategies available, identifying which one works for your body is extremely difficult. I know it was for me until I found MetPro. The key is to understanding and mastering your metabolism. So if you're looking for a high-touch experience working with a metabolic expert, or if you want access to the tools their industry-leading coaches use, visit metpro.co, that's metpro.co slash dose to take their assessment and speak with their team to learn which option is best for you. And hey, the Dose listeners will get up to one month free if you sign up. Head to metpro.co slash dose to take advantage of this opportunity. More on MetPro later in this episode. On today's show, Adam Carolla. But I want to see if I can get it right up to the edge of where that place is. But I don't, that place isn't, it's not defined. I don't know where it is. And I, and I certainly, I, I don't want to go 25% under where that place is. I want to go 1% under where that place is for a long time. And the place is going to be different on every corner, wherever you are in the track. And it'll, it'll be different where, where the tires are at in this particular part time and whatever so that 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 line is like it's going to move around you know i want to know where i want to see if i can find it and kind of dance with it a little bit hey welcome to the dose a show dedicated to deep and engaging conversations highlighting individuals that are in the pursuit of authentic and courageous leadership who approach life with insatiable curiosity bold action and common sense in these divisive and uncommon times it's my hope you take something away from each and every one of these conversations and apply it to your own life as we all intentionally attempt to become the best we can possibly be by living out our purpose and calling committing to a life of service and helping make this place better than we found it Well, today's guest doesn't need much of an introduction. You probably know who Adam Carolla is. I've been a huge fan of his for a long time. Of course, he's a radio personality, comedian. He's an actor, host of one of my favorite podcasts, The Adam Carolla Show. In 2011, Guinness World Records called it the most downloaded podcast. You're not going to find anybody who is as tenacious and creative and downright street smart, I think, is Adam Carolla. And the reason why I wanted to bring him on the show, because I've always appreciated his kind of entrepreneurial grit. He's always doing something. He's always involved in something. And he has time. He finds time to do the impossible. I love his kind of origin story that he's talked about many times where he came from. And not only do I believe he has a humble, teachable spirit, He's also unapologetic, which I think we need more of these days. He stands for something, and I truly appreciate that about Adam. That's why I like his books. That's why I like listening to his show. And again, in a sea of kind of insanity in this divisive world, he is, in my opinion, one of the rare voices of common sense. And and I thought bringing him on, that's what we would initially talk about. And we start talking about that uh, in the beginning. But what became a true gem of a conversation was listening to him talk about his passion of auto racing. I knew he was into auto racing. A lot of people may not know it. You may not know it. But we really deep dive into his passion and his love and even kind of the geekiness of auto racing. You think, well, how does this apply to a leadership podcast? Well, trust me, stick with this one. There are tons of life and leadership lessons in this great conversation with the one and only Adam Carolla. Go check out adamcarolla.com. He's got a brand new book out called Everything Reminds Me. Uh, me of something everything reminds me of something yeah that's the name of it and it comes out in june you can pre-order now on amazon love his stuff love this conversation sit back relax and enjoy here adam carolla on the dose congratulations first and foremost 13 years uh, thank you for being the voice of uh, sound reason and common sense and the uh, congratulations well you know i just say what i think job. Well, that's not underestimated, right? Because it doesn't seem like too many people have the courage to say what they think anymore. I think that's that's the difference. But um, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't. I don't know if they're even thinking it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, that's so true. You know, I was revisiting um, No Safe Spaces again last night. I hadn't watched it since it came out, so it's weird. When it, great to watch again, and it's certainly timely. But it's weird. It seems like. It's a lot older than it is. Seems like so much has changed since it came out. Did, does that make sense? What I'm saying that do you know what I mean? That it just obviously because it came out right before COVID hit, but it it seems like it was a long time ago almost. But what do you think when you hear me say that? Well, time uh, maybe because of social media or computers or internet, whatever. Time is sort of sped up 
you know, and and the the cycle is faster. And you know, I was thinking about it like we used to make dumb policies, and it would take years for the chickens to come home to roost, and whatever whatever politician was behind the stupid policy. They were retired or dead or out of office, you know, by the time it came back to bite us in the ass. But I was thinking about, like, defund the police, you know. Uh, there's a horrible idea. And it took took about seven months to bite us in the ass. It didn't take us eight years, you know. Or let's, uh, let's shut down our energy programs and not be energy independent. Well, that took about ten minutes to turn into the worst idea ever. You know, so everything has sort of sped up. I've I've found. Yeah, it's it's almost too fast. You kind of you kind of touch on this in your book. I'm your emotional support animal. But I had um, Brett Weinstein and Heather Hang on the show a couple months ago, and we were talking a little bit about that. In their book, they talk about how we're kind of not. That's part of the problem, right? Is like from an evolutionary standpoint, we can't. We can't deal with the kind of the virtualness of everything or how fast everything's going. Like this tech, like our brains are not evolved enough to deal with what we're dealing with. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense that it took a long time to get from riding a horse to everyone has a car, you know, and we could acclimate. And not only could we acclimate, as humans, but society could acclimate. Like we go, well, there's some of these cars driving around. Maybe we should pave a road or put in a stoplight or something. You know, it's like, all right, well, maybe one stoplight. You know, and it it just it it it, it, it took place over years, and now it's I mean in decades. You know, and now it's happening in months, and we're not ready for it. Steve. You know, I was watching No Safe Spaces, and there was a, a part in there where somebody in the audience asked, you know, how do you turn the tide? And you turned to Dennis Prager and asked him that same question. Uh, in a sense, it seems like particularly the last three or four, I don't know, for me anyway, maybe it's because I'm, I listen to you all the time. I listen to Ben Shapiro all the time. But it seems like there's some things that are the tide's turning, but then it doesn't take long for me to get to feel like, oh, we're still fucked, you know, but... I don't know. Do you feel like that we we're making any progress, particularly from this year? Because it seems like there's an element of courage that seems to be in play that I don't think was there when you released No Safe Spaces. But maybe that's maybe I'm wrong in that perception. What do you think? Well, you know, when things start happening, folks like Dennis Prager or me or yourself, we may notice them earlier you know but it 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 takes the the populace at large a longer period of time to kind of understand these things are bad ideas so you know i always kind of liken it to you know a few years ago there was no such thing as seeing a dog at an airport nobody brought their (laughs) pet to an airport right? right And then somebody had an idea, like, hey, maybe these people need emotional assistance, and maybe we should let just a few of these people travel with their emotional support dogs. And then guys like me went, fuck that, uh, get your shit together. I don't want to, tr- I don't want to fly with your dog. But they said, what, what's wrong with a couple of people and whatever it is? Okay. And then, uh, 10 minutes pass and everyone travels with their dog, you know? Because they were they were gaming the system, and I'd been to LAX and seen dog shit on the floor, you know, and 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 then at a certain point, enough people took enough flights with enough dogs that took a dump and went, <laughs> you know, I don't know about this. I, I feel like maybe this was a bad idea since everyone's, you know, there were dogs. I've been on a flight where two dogs got in a fight right in front of me in the aisle. And then so they went, yeah, you know what? We got to change that rule. We can't have people. And so that's the process. So guys like me, I'm raising my hand at Jump Street going, this is a bad idea. And here's what it's going to lead to. And everyone goes, shut up. 
you hate dogs or you're racist or you're you're homophobic or whatever whatever they're caninophobic or something come on you you're just saying that because you because you're a bad person <laughs> and then they get a lot of people to shut up because other people are thinking about raising their hand and saying it's a bad idea but they were called racist or dogophobic or something and so they put their hands down and then shit got out of hand and then and then some people started going, you know what, I, I think it's a bad idea. And the people that put their hands down went, I guess it's okay to put my hand up now. Right. Talk about it. Yeah. And that's the process. Well, I guess that's where I feel like the, the tide does feel like it's turning because, I mean, you've been steadfast, like you said, from the very beginning. You raise your hand at Jump Street. You stay consistent. I mean, the example, like even with the COVID stuff, you were living out there in L.A. and watching everything and – and you've been consistent from day one, but more and more people seem to be sticking to their guns. You know, watching the Rogan thing kind of too, and like following your advice, he kind of followed your advice. Your advice is like, just don't ever, don't ever apologize. In three or four days, they're going to go somewhere else, right? I mean, even take yeah. the comment you made, whatever week or so ago, the AOC one and on the tails of the Joe Rogan thing. And you didn't even say anything about it, and it just, just disappeared, right? I mean, so it's you just stay consistent to that that theme. It takes, I don't. It, they don't even ask me to apologize because they they, they know, know you what won't. the answer. Yeah, right. They leave you. You get left alone if you don't apologize. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah, I was just thinking, going back to that the animal thing. I, I still fly. I'm a pilot for American Airlines, and then um, it it really got bad. And that I remember someone tried to bring a peacock on the plane. I just remember this. And was that, it? What's that? Was it on the airplane? It was on, uh, It w I was at the airport that day it happened and my buddy, it happened on my buddy's plane. And that was, the, oh, really? that's the day that they called, um, uh, American said, hey, no more of this. It's just dogs now. We got to draw a line and this emotional support animal thing has gone too far. So they did, they did pull back on that to your point just recently, you know, within the last year or so, because it was getting out of hand. I did have a pig on one of my planes though. One time. <laughs> uh, yeah. What and what equipment are you flying? I fly the seven eighty seven international. So I used to fly the seven wow. seven three, but I do international out of Dallas, and uh, it's pretty. It's two. They're two different airlines. The international side and it's two different. You know, um, you really work your butt off on the domestic side. The international side is, it's a whole different airline. But I enjoy. Wow, it. that's a that's a big plane. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I was thinking about when he's talking about common sense and sound judgment. When I was, I used to fly for the Marine Corps. I was stationed out there at El Toro, when El Toro was open, remember? Down sure. by Irvine. And um, there's two types of pilots. When We're even just in aviation, not just in the Marine Corps. But it, when you think about, there's, there's the by-the-book pilot, and then there's the, what I call the professional aviator. And in the book, like that, we got like the um, basically the manual, and you open the first page, and it says, you know, you're ordered to know this book from cover to cover, all the systems, all the knowledge, all the limitations. You're ordered to do so. Failure to do so will lead to loss of life, and blah blah blah. Which okay, that makes sense. But the leadership line is what kind of reminds me of you. There's a line right below that it says, however, this manual is not a substitute for sound judgment and common sense. And it was weird how the the, the ones that grap grappled that line, that's the leadership line in my opinion, those are the ones that became the professional aviators, the ones that just didn't soak that in. They just, by the book, they were never that great. And that's kind of how I see society. I don't know. I just thought about that when I was recently talking about flying. But what do you think when you hear me say that? I mean, you seem like the guy that you value sound judgment and common sense over everything else. You know, I am not a pilot, but I'm, I, I definitely respect anyone with that discipline. I, my discipline as a vocation, as a, as a carpenter, and carpentry has a lot of rules. Uh, there's some technical stuff about framing and codes and layout you know, 16 on center studs or you know sheer wall nailing schedules and all that shit and so like i understand that that part of it and then there's a creative part there's a right. design part there's a 
sort of artistic part of it. And, you know, I, I think it's good to know both. I yeah. think it's, I think it's good to be able to have the technical expertise and to understand what every tool does and how it works and what it could do to you from a danger standpoint. It's like, I've, I've never, I've never worn a pair of protective goggles in my life, but they, you know, when they, they want you to wear goggles when you operate a table saw, and I just deem that a waste of time. So I never would, but I also made sure I knew how to rip, you know, uh, red oak and not have it kick back and hit me in the face, you know, so it was kind of, kind of, kind of both, you know. Yeah, well, I, I agree with you. I mean, you, it's to me, it's like it's a given. I had to know as a professional pilot, I had to know all that stuff—the technical and the tactical and in the rules. I have to know them. But there are times that you are faced with a situation that the rule book just cannot cover, right? And so you you need to be prepared for that. And that's once in blue moon. I mean, ninety percent of you, you could have a, a career where all you did is follow the book, and you have a great career. But there's that one event that happens that, you know, that, ha- that happened to me. I had, if I would have followed the rules, there were three rules that I, I had to break, and if I didn't break them, I, I would have been dead, you know. And it was when four deer ran in front of me on the runway, and a little trainer. Oh, really? And a little trainer, but yeah. But I mean, what about racing cars? It's kind of the same. I've never raced cars. It's it's kind of the same thing or anything, you know. I had. Neil Giraldo on my show, we were talking about this a little bit too. Like, you got to learn how to play the chords and the guitar and everything else. But if you want to be, go to the professional level or the creative level, it's like you got to almost let intuition or something take over. And isn't racing kind of like that? I've never raced a car, but. Well, the racing has a lot of rules that are, you know, I was just thinking about it because I've. I was able to do, I do a lot of vintage racing, but I was able to do a professional Trans Am race uh, a few years back. And I just got myself another, hooked up with another team for another professional Trans Am race coming up in about six weeks. And the cars are two frame cars with, you know, 900 horsepower and big slicks, but, but, but the but but the slicks when they're when they're cold they're no no good you know and so it's like you have to go out there and you have to get some heat into the tires before you get into it because I I did get into it a little early at uh, Willow Springs and I just went I I slid right off the track like it was like I was on ice yeah and um and so. There are things a car will do and things a car won't do, and then things a car will do at certain points, which are different than what they would, what the car would do at an earlier point. And then there's the way the car, things the car does toward the end that are different than what it did in the middle because the tires start to get greasy after Mm -hmm. a while. So it's like the tires go from cold and totally slick to heat heat cycled and really sticky to greasy and going away in the same event, you know, and you have to kind of know when that's happening, you know, and so there's a little fly by the seat of your pants, as you would say, and then there's another more technical side to it where they're dialing a lot of stuff into the car, more sway bar, more camber, you know, stiffen up the suspension or whatever it is. So yeah, there is there's a there's a lot of technical stuff, but the technical stuff isn't gonna tell you when to make a move, like when right. to try to make a pass. And and all all the passes come with a you know, no one moves over and lets you buy, especially if you're raising professionals at a at the highest at the top tier of Trans Am, which I was. So you've got to decide when that time is. And if you're wrong, you're going to do damage to the other person and to you and, you know, maybe, maybe injure yourself or the other person. And there's, there's a lot of decisions to be made 
and it, it, it's good. It's good to understand where you're at, what, what your skill level is, how familiar are you in the car, what the car's gonna do, um, and and where it where that point is where it's no longer gonna do what you want it to do. It's gonna do what it wants to do, and and I've been there a few times, and it, it you know you're just along for the ride at, at, at that point. So you just have to kind of figure that one figure it out but it, it, it is it's the same thing it's a mixture of some intuition and some instinct with some technical knowledge and expertise as well but it's it's all it's all the same it's just it's one big decision but it's, it's based on experience yeah and just getting out there and doing it and taking the risks and and being being courageous i i yeah you're right. And I just try to think back to like how I've tried to ramp it up to the next level in anything, not just flying, but everything is I try to listen to my my intuition more. I I, I try to give it a lot more credence than I have in the past because I think it's a lot more powerful than we give it credit for. I I can't tell you how many times, you know, just even doing regular checklists and and with we're trained like if something doesn't seem right. You, you you stop everything and speak up. And it doesn't – sometimes it's just a miss switch. It's not even a big deal, you know, but we're taught to listen to that, that kind of intuitive sense. I don't know. I don't know. I just think it's a lot more powerful than than we give it credit for. Well, it, it, look, if, if, you're, if you're tuned, if you're in tune, then – then it's not really intuition. It's just something yeah. that you feel is amiss, and it usually is because you're in tune. If you're paranoid or a dumbo or superstitious or something, then we can't listen to your intuition. But your intuition, you know, it's not exactly intuition. It's 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 based on something. It it's, lives yeah, somewhere. It's like. like- yeah, I know what you're saying. I, I that makes sense. It's kind of like it's just being in the mo- I guess being present without trying to have the you know filtering out the distractions and trying to prioritize what's the most important. I guess at the moment because you have so many inputs and variables coming from various angles, and so the skill set of knowing what to prioritize, I guess maybe is is what we're talking about. I don't know. I think I think it's like a well trained detective can walk into a room and some guy could be sitting in there going, you know, nothing to see, just hanging back, drumming the guitar. And like the well-trained guy will have feelings. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. He doesn't have to see a body on the floor. He'll just go, what's wrong with this picture? Yeah. And it, and it's not really intuition. It's like, it's training. Yeah. You know? What what is the differentiator from a racing standpoint? If you look at some of these, and I guess, like what what makes someone that's twenty one, twenty two, and they're just they're so good. I mean, and obviously it's they they raced a lot and the practice and getting out and doing it. But what when you when you look at a, a professional versus kind of an amateur race or somebody that gets it, what what is it about them? Is it risk taking? Is it is it that kind of ability to what we just talked about, soak everything in and be present in the moment. I, I don't know. I mean, I suppose it's different for everybody else, but I guess I'm asking this because I've never raced and I'm just kind of fascinated by it. And of course, watching all these, you know, that Formula One show on Netflix was fascinating. And, and I've had a couple of NASCAR. Yeah. There and I just don't know what differentiates what makes somebody a good racer. I mean, you got to be. I think you have a low. You have to have that kind of low resting heartbeat, you know, you have to pulse, you know, you have to kind of, you know, when you're agitated, things speed up. And when you're sort of detuned, things slow down, you know, and I think first of it is just, you can't be like a little yappy lap dog, you know, you have to kind of be detuned, you have to be sort of laid back, you know. When you talk to most race car drivers or 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 cage fighters, they're you're, they're pretty detuned. 
You know what I mean? They're not that. They're not that whipped up because because if, if you're if you're if your resting you know pulse rate is high, then when they strap you into that car with your six way harness, you're gonna be your heart's gonna be beating out of your chest if it's already high. You know what I mean? Or 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 when you enter the octagon, right? So you need to have a very low detuned kind of pulse rate so that when it goes up, when the green flag drops or the octagon cage door shuts, you're able to make really good decisions that aren't based on an adrenaline dump. You, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like being the composed force in a chaotic situation, right? It's like having that ability to be composed. You know, I was thinking when we, right. when I used to fly, when I when I I was an instructor in the military, and we'd fly formation, so you're flying three feet from another plane, and you would sit there, and I would remember I'd catch myself, and we'd always teach the students, you know, you got to fly with your fingertips, you got to be relaxed, and if I found myself having a death grip around the stick or the throttle or even my feet on the rudder pedals, I'd feet, you know, because you're just getting tense or whatever. And so just bringing yourself back and relaxing. Is it the same when you're driving? Because I'm watching, when you see these in four, I mean, you got to have a firm grip on the stick. But you see what I'm saying? If you've got all your muscles tense around the steering wheel, do you try to do it in a relaxed state? I know you can't do it with your fingertips like with a plane, but do you see what I'm saying? Just to your point, if, you're, if your whole body's tense around it, that's not good, right? I mean, do you try to drive it fairly relaxed or is that not even yeah. possible? No, it, 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 it's, it's possible. You have to, you have to be relaxed because you can't do anything sudden in the car because it'll respond violently, you know? So you can't, you can't jam on the accelerator coming out of the corner and you can't, tug the wheel hard, you know, everything's got to be pretty rhythmic, you know, and, and it, it, it's, it, it's really about a rhythm because you, you cannot, you can't yank the car around the track, but just like, kind of see baseball players in between pitches, their hands are loose yes. on the bat, you know, That's they're not right. that tight on the bat, you know, you have to kind of keep it loose, they see the bat rotating a little, their hands are very loose at that one second, that one millisecond it's time to really grip the bat and swing it, but it, you have to stay loose otherwise you can't react you know, the reason I think Muhammad Ali was as good as he was. Is he was very loose in there, you know. And you you can't be intense and have a quick jab. You have to be loose to have a quick jab. You can't get off when you're when you're tight, you know. And that's why you can see Muhammad Ali boxing, and he was like intentionally loose. And that's where then that's where the speed comes from. Right, and the reactions come from, and there's never really that in the car. I mean, you're you're in a cage, and you're you have a six-way harness, and you have a net. You know, you 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 feel like like you should, you know, you're claustrophobic or have a panic attack or something. You really just need to sort of get a little zen about it, not, you know, a lot of people, if you put the harness on them and strap them down real tight, put them in this thing that doesn't have a door, you have to crawl out of the window and stuff, would get a little freaky <laughs> in there, but that's more of the low resting pulse rate stuff, you right. know? Is there's, that there's definitely, it definitely behooves you to be relaxed, even if the environment isn't relaxing. And we'll be right back after this message. Hey, you're like me. You're wanting to improve your health but never sure where to start. With thousands of health strategies available, identifying which one works for your body is difficult. I know it has been for me until I found MetPro. According to MetPro, the key to seeing results is mastering your metabolism. 
At MetPro, your metabolism isn't some mystery. It's a data point. Armed with hard science, MetPro is your health concierge, delivering one-on-one coaching and personalized nutrition and fitness regimes. It's not just about weight loss. MetPro's coaches provide business professionals, athletes, weekend warriors, and everyone in between the support and education they need to live a healthier life. MetPro's team of experts has worked with the most recognizable name in sports, entertainment, and business. They've helped thousands of individuals like you and me transform their bodies by hacking their metabolism. I've been using MetPro for five weeks, and I couldn't be more thrilled. I finally feel like I got it figured out. This onboarding program was great. The intuitive app, I can't say enough of. It helps me plan my meals, gives me a shopping list. I'm eating the foods I enjoy. And most importantly, I got increased energy and I'm seeing weight loss. I couldn't be more thrilled with MetPro. Recently, they launched a new tool that allows you to experience the same science and tailored strategy that their experts use. Look, this isn't food logging. It's not a tool or a workout app. The MetPro app allows you to track, analyze, and learn what your metabolism responds to best. And that's the key. That's the thing I've never had before until now. So if you're looking for a high-touch experience working with a metabolic expert, or if you want to access the tools that industry-leading coaches use, visit metpro.co slash dose. That's metpro.co slash dose to take their assessment and speak with their team to learn which option is best for you. Best of all, listeners will get up to one month free when they sign up. Head to metpro.co slash dose to take advantage of this opportunity. And now, back to the show. I mean, obviously, it's fun for you, important to you. And, but I always wonder, I'm curious, like, what, what does it do for you? I mean, I guess for me, like flying planes, it's just, it feels like, you know, when you pick up that baseball glove that's so broken in that it feels like an extension of your arm or you, that favorite pair of blue jeans or whatever that's so comfortable. That's what it's like for me when I go fly. Is it the same thing with you? With, I mean, why do you do it? I mean, aside from it being fun and enjoyable, but have you ever thought about at a deeper level why why it's so important to you? Not, I, I haven't really examined it. I I think it has to do with the, a couple of things. Like one is um, one is you don't think about anything other than what you're doing for whatever that period of time is, which is pretty important. Kind of freeing. Uh, you know, a lot of why a lot of people are addicted to drugs, you know, or yeah. addicted to sex or like addicted to something like, you know, this, this craving to kind of get out of your mind and, and just thought, you know, mortgages, payments, and taxes, <laughs> right. divorce, kids, you know, whatever. It's just like, not there for that, for that period of time. You know, when you, when you sleep, you dream. And, and oftentimes kind of recreate whatever your problems were when you were awake, right? Sometimes worse than what you would have been, been thinking about when you were awake and lucid. But the thing about the car is there's nothing but what you're doing for that period of life and, and, and time. And you're not even really consciously really thinking about what you're doing you're just doing it you know what i mean it's like it's like i don't know crazy interpretive dance or something like <laughs> where you're just going you know it's yeah. just like kind of flowing you know like playing jazz trumpet or something but the solo lasts for an hour and and it's like it's a mixture between that kind of freedom of not thinking about anything, um, a challenge of like, I'm going to climb into this thing and I'm going to operate. It wouldn't go. Someone's got to get it to do. And, you know, what they do. And it's capable of a lot. And I want to see know what percentage i can get out of it you know and i I want it it is it's got a ton of horsepower and a ton of grip and suspension and everything and i want to see if i can get it right to where i want to get it with with the knowledge that if you cross a millimeter past that line you're going off the track 
but I want to see if I can get it right up to the edge of where that place is. But I don't, that place isn't, it's not defined. So I don't know where it is. And I, and I certainly, I, I don't want to go 25% under where that place is. I want to go 1% under where that place is for a long time. And the place is going to be different on every corner, wherever you are in the track. And it'll, it'll be different where, where the tires are at right. in this particular part time and whatever. So that, that, that line is like, it's going to move around. Yeah. You know, no, I get, um, but I, I want to know where I want to see if I can find it and kind of dance with it a little bit. I really like that answer. It resonates with me. I mean, I was thinking about, I mean, obviously, but it's kind of like when we're flying planes and we're, you know, it doesn't happen that often. It's normally pretty benign, but every now and then you got the dark stormy night where you've got to shoot the approach where the weather's down to minimums and it's, you know, a crosswind or blowing snow or something. And, you know, you got to shoot that approach. And, um, it's the same thing, right? It's that moment. Like you're just in that moment yeah. and there's nothing else. And, and you think you would, people outside of it think, Oh, I would, you wouldn't want those nights, but it's like the vast majority of us, we, we live for that because it just feels what you just described there. Kind of, that's what it feels like at that moment. Right. And then, and then when you're successful and you land and it's great and it's a great feeling, you know, it's like, wow, you know, this is what I get paid yeah. to, to do. It's a gr really good feeling knowing that not everybody can do this, number one, or would want to do it. In, in your case, same thing with racing, you know, and, and there's no room for error at those moments, you know, that, that, yeah, I get that. that. And it makes you, it makes you feel alive, I guess. That's really what it is when, I, when you're yeah. saying that you just feel like you're alive at that moment. You're not dealing with all the, the regular bullshit of life, you know? Yeah. It's, it's the, I mean, and obviously the challenge part is a, is a big right. part of yeah. it, you know? Yeah. And, and yes, you do. And then there's this crazy sense of, you know, relief, astonishment, and joy like <laughs> right. when you get out exactly. of the of the car uh, or, or not, you know, depending on how it went, you know, yeah. how, how, how it works. Yeah. No, that's fascinating. I, mean, I wasn't expecting to talk about cars all of a sudden, but that's just, it's just fascinating to me. I just, it's something I always appreciate and, and wonder. Well, it's all, also, you have to learn stuff. Like, like you have to really use and, and, and I, what it is really is you take all your experiences, not car experiences, experience like life experiences all the challenges all the hurdles like all the stuff and you kind of put them into one event you know and it's like you're getting into this car you know the first professional race i did i never drove that car before it came from florida i didn't it was a sequential shifter which i'd never used before and it was a whole bunch of like, oh, never done this before kind of thing. But it's like, but I did play Pop Warner football and I did learn a bunch of shit doing Pop Warner football. And I did learn a bunch of shit when I was doing the groundlings. And I learned a bunch of shit when I did Dancing with the Stars. And I, I learned a bunch of shit when I started doing radio. And I, when I, I used to be a boxing coach. I learned a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, I think I can take all that and kind of transfer it right into this. No, I I get that. I love that. Well, I think that's what I yeah. You saying all this stuff? That's what I've always appreciated about you. And it's like you're always doing something, but you're you're listening. You're willing to try anything almost, right? And you're like, it's it's almost like you have this sense of, well, not. Oh, I can't do this. It's like, well, how can I do this? Right? When you're faced with something. And that's the difference, I think. That I try to I try to live I try to instill that in my kids instead of they always come to me like, Well, I couldn't do that, I can't do that. And then I say, Well, just ask just flip it for a second and say, Well, how could I do this? You know? Yeah. I I don't think you should say that out loud, you know, like I could never do this. I or, agree. You know, or I I'd be too scared to do X, Y, or Z. I mean, look, I got stuff that, you know, I, I, 
bunch of shit I wouldn't want to do, but I don't have that much stuff I don't think I could I could do, I could learn to do, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I was also, you know, you have to agree to stuff that puts you outside of your comfort zone. And, and that's exactly, you know, what happened. Somebody <laughs> got hold of me months before this race, the first race, as like, you want to drive in a professional Trans Am race? And I was like, I'm in. <laughs> and then I remember thinking about going, what the fuck? You know, I have <laughs> right. no idea. And then I was, you know, when I got to the track, and there's the semi truck and the text and the big awning and the backup car and the, you know, guy from the team, team owners like, you got a radio in your helmet? I'm like, no, I do not. They're like, oh, boy. that's bad. Oh, and I was like, and I remember like thinking to myself, uh, I think I made a mistake here. Like, <laughs> right, right. And, and you see all the other guys at the driver's meeting who do it all the time, you know, and, they're testing you, you know, the tech guy, they get you all belted into the car with the helmet and the net and everything. And then you got like 20 seconds to get out of the car, so, you know, takes the steering wheel off and get the net down. I'm like, I don't even know how to get the net down, you know? Oh, and man. and I, I remember just sitting there going, Jesus Christ, what did I do? And it was at Willow Springs, which is called like the fastest track in the West. Sure. And I don't even like Willow Springs. I, I've never driven on the big track. I, I had no laps on it. I, I just remember thinking, Jesus Christ, man, what the, what I get into? Um, I got third. So I got up wow. on the podium, you know, after the race. It was awesome. And it, it's on, you can see it on YouTube. Yeah. If people listening want to check it out. But so that was a few years ago. And it's like, I, I kind of conquered some fears. Yeah. And then I found out, you know, a month ago, there's another Trans Am team, and I want to get you in the car. And, you know, yeah, we're not talking about cars, though. We're talking about life. If people are listening, want to know. And, like, my thing was like, oh, I got a whole new mindset on this one. Now I'm excited to get into the car, and I, I know yeah. what the car is. And I, and I can feel myself in the car, and I know Laguna Seca. And I know what that track feels like. And I can feel myself in that car at Laguna Seca. And, and I'm going to have a radio. I'm, I'm going to get a radio for my helmet before I get there, you know. And I, I, I know what a sequential gear shift feels like now. And all the, all the question marks, not all of them, but many of them I've, I've, I've answered now through my past experience right. that I let myself have. Yeah, it's not letting that fear, that limiting belief and self-doubt kind of overcome you in that moment because it would be real easy, you know, just the fact that you didn't have a radio in your helmet to be enough to go, okay, I'm out, you know, what am I doing here, you know? And that's one thing I've learned is like that, those limiting beliefs never go away. I had Steve Forbes on the show one time and he talked, and we were talking about that. And I said, well, when did these, that kind of the, the, the self-doubt go away and the confidence kind of took in and he laughed at me. He said, it never goes away. He goes, I was in a meeting last week and I was in the shower thinking, oh my God, if they knew how unprepared I was, they wouldn't, you know, they'd laugh me out of the room, you know, and this is how old he is. Billionaire, right? And so it, yeah. and so it never goes away. So it's getting comfortable like you did in that scenario you're talking about there. It's like you, I don't know, you, you weren't explicitly thinking you were getting comfortable with limiting beliefs, but something kept pushing you forward. Like, you didn't stop. You didn't, you just, you kept pushing forward. Well, you know, what you do is you, you do it incrementally. You're like, all right, first things first, let's try not to make an ass out of ourselves in this environment. Like, let's not be embarrassing. You know, let's see, I'm, I'm not going to put the car on the pole, but can I competently operate the car so that it's competitive, even if it's not in the front, you know, because that's, that's the first goal. The first goal is let's, let's not make a fool of ourselves here, you know? Yeah. And 
once, you know, and so you get practice and you get qualifying and you, you get a little, and, and then also you have to go to people who have been there and done that and go, Hey, can I talk to you? Can right. I pick your brain? Right. And, <clears throat> you know, like I'll go, Hey man, when we go out for practice, can I kind of tuck in behind you and just kind of follow your line? And I'm just going to do what you do. And, you know, I, I had a moment that was kind of, in it, but, it, but it's back to the sort of decision making. So I do a lot of like, Hey man, tell me what you know and help me. Uh, which, which I'm more than happy to do, but I, <clears throat> I did have this kind of interesting situation that I think you'll appreciate because it has to do with aerodynamics, you know. Um, Willow Springs has this kind of horseshoe turn up at the top, kind of the hill, and you go around it real slow. I mean, real slow. I mean, top speed is like 163. And the horseshoe turn, you're doing it like 40 miles an hour or something like that. Not, not very fast, right? You turn around this horseshoe and then you kind of drop back in and you go around a couple of light corners and then there's a long straight and then there's this big long sweeping turn called turn eight. And it's essentially a long turn, but it's so long. Everyone is kind of on it and hauling ass through this long turn. It's very unique at Willow Springs. So anyway, <clears throat> I'm going around the horseshoe, you know, 30 laps into the race, and I'm noticing that the tires are greasy, and I'm having to really turn the wheel a lot, and the car's kind of plowing forward, and, and I don't have much grip in these tires at all. I, I'm, I'm not getting any grip, really, or little to none. <laughs> and, um, and and then we're going down this back straight, and we're going into this long right-hand sweeper, turn eight, and I noticed that the guys in front of me who are in the exact same, almost the same equipment I'm in, they're not lifting. They're going right around this corner at 160 miles an hour, right? And 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 I was behind them, and I was thinking, what are these guys doing? The tires are all gone. We're sliding all over the place. We got the same tires, the same equipment. They're going right off the back of this. They're going to they're they're going to launch. Right off the back of that turn. They're not going to make that turn. They're going way too fast on these slippery tires. But they didn't let off. And I was like, well, if they're not letting off, then I'm not letting off. Because I don't, this seems really counterintuitive to me. But these guys know what they're doing because they're professionals. And I'm going to do what they do and trust, trust that they know what they're doing. And, you know, lo and behold, we just went around the corner. And each time for the next, you know, five or 10 laps, we'd be coming into that corner. I'd be like, oh, shit, here it goes. And we just go around the corner. And when I got out of the car, the first thing out of my mouth was, I don't get why we didn't go flying off the back of that corner with these greasy tires. And the mechanics, they were like, you're going 165 miles an hour. You got so much downforce at that speed that you're stuck the track because the car's got a big wing in the back got a lot of arrow and you're creating you have no downforce at the top of the horseshoe you're going 35 40 miles an hour you don't have any downforce uh but you're going 165 and you got a lot of downforce and that's why you're stuck yeah to the track that makes and sense i said well I wish you would have told me that before I got in the goddamn car. <laughs> right. Like seriously, but I was able to get third because I just looked at the guys in front of me and went, "Well, they're professionals, and they're not—they're not lifting, they're not breaking." That's—I that's so, love that story. I went to do what they do. I love that story. 
Yeah, it's yeah. Like, it was. It wasn't me knowing anything. It was me knowing they knew something. Yeah, and trusting them, right? And just kind of seeing where this goes. That's oh, fun. fun. Yeah, it's like these these guys have done a lot of laps on this track in these cars, and they're not in the habit of flying off the, you know, straight away into the desert. So they must know something, even though it feels totally counterintuitive to me. Yeah, but the way this car, to your point, I guess it's like an upside down wing, you know, it's like there's lower pressure on the bottom of the car and there's with the, which is creating that downward force of that kind of upside down lift is what really what's happening. Yeah. And it's pushing it down. The faster you go, the more, the more upside the down more lift you're, you're going to get. Yeah. So the harder, the, the closer, the more firm you're going to be on the, that's interesting. That's really good. Well, we're running out of time here. And I oh know, my God. It, 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 it is a big deal. Downforce. I, I drive old vintage Datsun 510. There's no downforce. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. or race cars. It's like right. so. Yeah. That that's what I, I didn't account for. That. Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I didn't know it was going to go this way, but I'm glad it did. There's a lot of life lessons there. Talking about your racing there, I really appreciate that. I wanted before we get off here as we wrap it up. I just wanted to say thank you too for um. A truth yeller. I've really been enjoying that um, with the ones you had with Rob Riggle and Jay Leno and TJ Miller. That was it's been enjoyable on on Daily Wire. So, are there, are there more coming out of that? Or is oh good, yeah, yeah. There's uh, Bill Shatner's coming out, and uh, Dennis Quaid are coming up, and TJ Miller too so there's some good ones coming soon. Yeah, it's really good. I'm I, it's fun, and I'm. It's fun to see you partnered with Shapiro and Daily Wire. So, anyway, congrats on that. As we wrap up here, how can what do you want people to be to be um, plugging into? Obviously, your show's out there; it's great. And uh, but anything around the corner that you want want us to support you in? Well, I'll have a book coming out in the next several months. You can pre-order it on Amazon. It's called Everything Reminds Me of Something, and you can go to adamcrawl.com because I do live shows all over the country. Yeah. Uh, if you want to come out to Laguna Seca on April 22nd, I'll be there. Say hi. I might have to, I might have to drop in and see a race some point. So that'd be fun. I, Adam, I really enjoyed this conversation. Again, I'm a big fan. Uh, always a welcome home here on this show. Uh, thanks for slumming down with me. It's, it's, it's important. It's a big deal for me that you took the time to do this, and it's really appreciated. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Richard. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse. Tell your kids. Tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we work together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.